for the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Remember how Ephesians, we've talked about this in our study of Ephesians, and we're coming back to it tonight, is broken up uh, right in the middle. Ephesians chapter 1 to 3 is all very doctrinal, uh, very theological. It tells us how God has called us as a church. And then chapter 4 turns uh, very quickly to a practical discussion on uh, how we ought to live or our conduct. It's very, um, it's, it's very applicational. And some of us, many of us in here are not blessed like the world is blessed with material blessings. Uh, we can look around at people and, and quickly find others who are blessed in a far greater way than we are, whether it be materially or physically. Uh, and oftentimes we find ourselves wishing that we were in that position, uh, wishing we had a little more money or a little better health or whatever the, the physical or temporal situation can be. But remember how we started memorizing Ephesians chapter 1, at least some of you did, and it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all or every spiritual blessing. You may not have the physical and material blessings that the world has, but we have spiritual blessings. So put those on a scale and weigh them. Which would you rather have? Because of those spiritual blessings, Paul outlines that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, all the things that we have. Uh, we, we could summarize that as the calling of the church, and then chapters 4 to 6 is really the conduct of the church. Now, how should we act in light of all those things? Theologians would say it this way, that imperatives are always grounded in indicatives. What that means is com the commands of God, that's an imperative, like stop or don't or look out. Those are all quick commands that, that demand immediate obedience. And those are always based on indicatives, or, and those, that just means uh, truthful statements in the Scripture. God's prior action in our life is the basis for our future action for him. What is the first thing that God did for us spiritually? Going back to that passage in chapter 1 when we memorized it and went through it week by week, what is the first thing that God did for us in this, in this plan of spiritual blessings? Don't be afraid to, to answer out loud. What's the first thing he did? Yeah, the very first thing, prior to even our existence, prior to creation, is that he elected us or chose us before the foundation of the world. And that happened, you can look in Ephesians 1, verse 4. This choosing happened in the mind of God before we even existed. Then he adopted us, predestined us, uh, redeemed us, um, made his wisdom to abound to us. All of these spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon us are what motivates our living for him in the future. So Paul is now moving in Ephesians 4 verse 1 from theology to ethics or from belief to behavior. And, and we've said this before, knowledge always influences our behavior. So from now until Christmas, when we take chapters 4, 5, and 6, we're going to put all of our thoughts under one specific word or umbrella. So if you can imagine uh, an umbrella above your head that's kind of uh, summarizing all of the thoughts that Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are talking about, the, the word that would be on that umbrella is the word walk. Okay? In other words, chapters 1, 2, and 3 talk about all that God has done, and now 4, 5, and 6 talk about our walk. And walk in the scripture always means uh, the pattern of our living. Uh, the word walk in the Gospels, this is how the word walk, it's the word peripateo, the word, the word walk, in the, it changes from the Gospels to the letters in this way. In, other word, in, the word, in the Gospels, the word walk is always used literally. Jesus walked to a certain place. His disciples walked here. So it's always a, 
a literal walk. And there's only one place in the Gospels, it's Mark chapter 7, verse 5, where it's used in a figurative way. The people come to Jesus and say, why do your disciples not walk in the tradition of the elders? They eat with unwashed hands. Then it switches in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, gos- in the letters, it switches where all of the walk is now a figurative walk. In other words, it's talking about the, the pattern of your life, the whole realm of your activities, and it's all used in a figurative way. The individual life and how we pass it, all of our activities as believers. Now, I wasn't even gonna, I wasn't going to mention this because it's stupid, but it helps me to understand it. You ever watch Scooby-Doo when you were a kid? Anybody ever watch Scooby-Doo? Okay, and S- Jessa does. Nobody else does. In, Scooby D- in, in these old cartoons, to save time, they, they frequently, if they have a scene, you know they, just, they didn't redraw the scene. They just put the same pictures in again. And, and the Scooby-Doo characters, one of those is where they walk. They're, they're walking to a certain place. You, ever, any, you know what I'm saying? I know this is stupid. But every one of the characters had a distinct walk. You remember that? I mean, Shaggy kind of walked, this is dumb, but Shaggy kind of walked like this. Velma kind they all had a specific walk, right? You, you remember? What? So I'm using that in a way to say that Paul is saying that Christians should have a distinct walk that's, that's easily marked or noticed. In other words, Christians don't, it's not all inward for us. There are outward ramifications of what Christ has done for us inwardly. If, if you put just the figures of Scooby-Doo walking, we could identify them. We'd say, okay, that's that person, that's their walk. Can people do that with us as Christians? Can they look at us and, be rec- and we can be recognized and marked by this specific walk? Paul is saying we should be marked by that. And he, and he talks in 4, 5, and 6 about all kinds of different aspects of our walk. He talks about unity, spiritual gifts, speech, thinking, our attitudes, purity, sex, marriage, family, work. Uh, spiritual warfare and prayer, all kinds of different things, and our walk is to be in a certain fashion or a certain way. And there is a walk that is expected. Now, what I want to do tonight is is do a little bit of a, a Bible uh, a Bible drill and go to all kinds of different passages, and there's 14 different types of walking that the Bible mentions. So what I want to do first is look at the ones that are not in Ephesians and then come back to the ones that are in Ephesians. So y- your fingers will have to move and walk with me tonight. And if you want to write these down, it would be very helpful because this is the type of walk that the New Testament apostles said should mark every Christian. Let's start in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Now, before we do it, just for kicks, if there's 14 of these, for instance, they'll, it will say walk, and there will be a blank, walk this way. Can you think of any that the New Testament demands of Christians to walk? Go ahead, give me one. Walk in the Spirit. Let's, I don't know, there's one. There's 14 of them. Walk circumspectly. Awesome. You memorize that in the King James? That's good. That's one of them. Yes. What? Walk worthy. That's one in Ephesians 4. We got three out of 14. Okay, those who got one get a free candy at the end of the night. What? That's right. That's, it's tough. Let's look at them. Romans 8, verse 4, is the, or Romans 6, verse 4 is the first one. Romans 6, verse 4. And, and because there's 14, I mean, even if we take a minute with each one, our time will be quickly gone. So we're just going to walk. This is just kind of introducing us to the rest of the fall when we look at Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 and say that this is the way a Christian should walk. So it's not just for you to get a list on a piece of paper. It's for you to then take a spiritual inventory of your own life. Am I walking circumspectly, whatever that means? Am I walking in the Spirit and whatever all these uh, that we discover together are? Romans 6, verse 4. 
Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism, through death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There you have it, number one. Walk in newness of life. In other words, the whole experience that we as Christians have should be qualitatively different from the pattern of our lives before we knew Christ. It's a completely new way of living. And this word new means completely different, brand new. It doesn't mean like a regenerated thing, like we, we, we took an old piece of furniture and we made it like new. It's a completely different thing. Something breaks down in your house, you throw it away, and you get a new one. It's a completely different thing. And that's what Paul is saying here. With the indwelling of Christ and the unity that we have with Christ, buried with him, raised with him, we are united with him. He indwells us through his spirit. So there's a completely different experience for Christians in the present than there was in the past. And again, what's the motivation for it? It's all the spiritual blessings that God has granted to us. He's given us all the things that we mentioned in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing, and so it makes sense. Now walk in newness of life. Many of these are in Romans. The second one is in Romans 8, verse 1, just a chapter over. This is one that Matt mentioned, and we spent all fall talking about in our Wednesday night study. So we'll just make a quick one here and move on to number three. But number two is walking in the Spirit. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are believers, those who have been called out. They do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Really, number two is has two aspects of walking. One is positive, one is negative. We walk in the Spirit. We do not walk in the flesh. Other verses that indicate this, 1 Corinthians 3, 3, Galatians 5, 16, Colossians 3, verse 7. You may have used to walk according to your flesh. In other words, what is the driver of your actions? What is the thing that, that drives you? Is the flesh what drives you or is the spirit what drives you? Are you keeping your steps in the spirit or are you walking in the flesh? Go to Romans 13, 13. I know we have to go quickly because as I said, since there's, we're just an overview, just a personal inventory. Walk in newness of life. Walk in the spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. Look at this, Romans 13, 13. This is a fascinating little section here. Look, let's, let's pause for a second and go back to verse 11. Do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is, is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here's number three then. Let us walk properly, properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 2 also mentions this, walking properly. It's a word, it's the same word in both places. It means to walk in an honorable way, walk in a decent way. There's a passage in the scripture, I, I'm not, I didn't write down the, uh, the reference, but it says, let all things be done decently and in order. That's the same word, same word. It means to please God by laying aside our sinful habits. Our outward actions are in accordance with our inward nature. We are blameless. Now, no Christian can be blameless, right? I mean, no Christian can live in a way, even as a believer, in a way that's perfectly aligned with God's standards. What one person says this means is to walk in a way that there's no handles on you. You know how the Bible says that elders and pastors must be above, above reproach? 
Um, it doesn't mean that pastors are, are perfect or elders have to be perfect because that standard is, is not attainable. But it, without reproach is a very similar idea to walking properly, and it means to not have anything that anybody can grab a hold of in your life and, and, and see this as a, as a stumbling block or a pattern in your life that you could be known by. In fact, the First Thessalonians 4.12 passage uh, also relates this to the, the uh, bolstering of our testimony. If Tony or others who mentioned tonight about people that you're trying to share the gospel with, you're sharing the gospel with them, but there's something in your life that is improper, it weakens your testimony. And 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12 says, walk properly towards those who are outside. So they don't look at things in your life and say, well, this person talks about salvation, but they don't back it up with their life. A Christian should be marked by walking properly. Look at Romans. Well, let's not look at the Romans one. We don't have to look to Scripture for this one. 1 John 2.11, number four would be walk in love. It tells us uh, over and over to walk in love. Romans 14.15 mentions that. That's one that we can understand pretty clearly. Christians ought to be marked by walking in love. And remember, the walk means a habitual pattern. In newness of life, the spirit, properly in love. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 7. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. I hope we're walking through the New Testament. We might have to backtrack a couple of times, but... 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Verse 6 says, We are always confident, knowing while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by, we can say it, faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. As Christians, we walk with an, in, with an invisible, uh, with an eye to the invisible. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, We do not look at the things which are temporal, uh, or the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. We look at things which are unseen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things unseen. We walk by faith, not by sight. Look at Philippians chapter 3. I hate to go so quick, but I do want to get to the end where we can make a couple applications for us. This would be number 6, Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17 and 18. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, there's not a, there's not a real specific, easy-to-see answer there. So I want to try to summarize what this means. Paul is saying, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. And it even goes, you, can, you might have to walk back a little bit. Nevertheless, to the degree, verse 16, that we have this already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Any idea? Here's what I'm going to summarize. We walk after patterns. We walk after patterns. We note people who are walking in the ways that we're mentioning. Paul is saying back in Philippians 3, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus. Uh, I, uh, I press on that I might know him, uh, Rome, uh, Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. And there are people like us that are walking like that. We walk in unity. We walk uh, by this, by this uh, passionate desire to know God personally in this life. And so note people like that and walk like them. Model your life after them, not like the people in verse 18, who walk in such a way that indicates they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Find people and examples 
to pattern your life after who are doing the types of things that we're mentioning. And the greatest example of that would be Christ. And that's number seven, walk like Christ. The two passages that we won't turn to here, Colossians 2.6 and 1 John 2.6. Both of them easy to remember there. 1 John 2.6, he who says he abides in him ought to walk as he walked. Colossians 2.6, as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Let your daily conduct be that that models Christ. Put him on as the highest pattern. Look at Colossians chapter 4. This would be number 8 of the 14. Newness of life. Walk in the spirit. Walk properly. Walk in love. Walk by sight. Follow patterns. Walk like Christ or walk in Christ. Colossians 4 verse 5. Walk in wisdom. Specifically towards those who are not believers. Walk wisely towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time. This is specifically talking about what we already mentioned tonight as far as being sharers of the gospel. Be wise in that way. Look in verses 2 and 3. It's this prayer that God would open a door to people who are unsaved and let your speech be seasoned with grace. Don't go hammer people who are unbelievers, but speak wisely to them. First Thessalonians 4, verse 1, we have number 9. Walk in purity. Walk in purity. Christians ought to be marked as people who are pure. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And the whole pattern of this passage is sexual immorality, to control ourselves, to be pure. Christians are people that must be marked by purity. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3. This would be number 10. We walk orderly. Verse number 6, and hope you're getting all the scriptures down. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. And if you skip down to verse 11, we hear that some walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all. This is an awesome word. That it, You ever go to the, the parades and see band members that aren't walking in step with the other band members, and you always point them out, and they're kind of the, the loser of the band? They, they, they don't want to be there, and they're not, they're not marking time the right way. That's exactly what this word means. It's like, every, it's, like, it's like if people look at us as a church or look at you as a family of believers, and you see everyone kind of, as their pattern seems to be lining up very closely with all the things we've mentioned. No one can be perfect in these areas, right? But you're striving towards it. And then you got one guy who's just totally out of step or out of sync with everybody else. That's what this word means. He says, I hear that there are people like that, walking disorderly. We'll withdraw from those people. Don't partner with those people. And then in the context here, it's talking about people who are idle or lazy or undisciplined. It, it, it was used of apprentices who were employed but skipped work all the time. And he says that in verse 11. We hear there are some who walk disorderly. They don't work. They're busybodies. They're gossips. They're undisciplined. They're idle and lazy. Don't be like that. That shouldn't mark a Christian. Look at 2 uh, John, 2 John. This would be number 11. Okay. I know we're looking at a lot of scriptures, and I kind of apologize for that, but not really. 2 John, verse 4. There's no chapters, so just 4. Uh, verse 4 of chap the first chapter. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. 3 John 4 says the same thing. I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in truth. 
I, I frequently tell the kids at school that there are two things that believers must do in regards to truth. What do you think those might be? What are the two things that you as Christians have a responsibility to do regarding the truth? Okay. Okay. Sh- what did you say secondly? Okay, share the truth. Here's, uh, I think we can put it under a bigger heading. I, I used L- letter L words. We learn truth and we live truth. If you are just learning truth, but you're not living truth, what are you? You're a hypocrite. I know everything, right? I've, I've, I've come to Bible study. I wake up at 5 o'clock for the breakfast. I read the big 500-page book. Uh, I know all these things about the Bible, but my life doesn't back it up. I'm a hypocrite. What if you are living truth, but, you don't, but you're not learning truth? What are you? What, what, do we, what would we call someone who's living according to some standard but doesn't even really know why, doesn't know the truth at all? To me, that person is a legalist. They're, they're, they live by some sort of code or standard, but they have no idea why they're even doing it. It's almost like that truth or that, sta- or that lifestyle has become for them what is pleasing unto God. They don't know the truth. Christians must learn it and then live it. Now, most of our problem would be that we know the truth, but we're not living it. I think that's where most of us would fall. Look at Second John verse 6 as well. This would be number 12. Walk according to his commandments. We could say walk in what? What is a person who walks according to his commandments? We'd call that person a or an obedient person, right? Walk in obedience. But disciple is great, Matt, because John 8, remember what Jesus said in John 8, was it verse 31? If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It doesn't mean if you just keep reading or listening to my word, but it's talking about obedience. We walk in obedience. 13, and last, 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, walk in the light. That's a great summary, really, of all that we've said because light in the Bible symbolizes truth, it symbolizes holiness, and it is opposed to falsehood, and it's opposed to error, it's opposed to sin. And light symbolizes purity as well. So light really is a good one to end on because it summarizes the rest. Now that's a heavy dose, right? It's like a big shopping list that your wife just gave you to go to the store with, and all of these things should be marking a Christian's life. Newness of life, the spirit, properly, love, Sight, following after patterns or models, walking like Christ, wisdom, purity, orderly, truth, obedience, and light. Now, go back to Ephesians for our last few minutes here. Go, to, go back to Ephesians now. None of the places we looked at for that word peripateo, we skipped Ephesians, but he uses the word eight times in that book alone. It's an important word for Paul as he writes it to these new Gentile Christians. So it's obvious that this is an important concept for him. The focus on the first half of the book is the doctrine. The focus on the second half is the practice of those who have been called out, elected, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is a pretty, uh, we're going to look at all eight places that it's mentioned. Okay. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse number 1. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in, once, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. He says, believers, your life used to be marked by a pattern of habitual sin and bondage to your trespasses. Now look at verse 10. Okay, He talks about grace, you've been saved. That's a very familiar part in verse 8 and 9. So you got this bracket from verses 1 to 10. He starts with, you used to walk like this, but God has planned for you to walk in what? 
Somebody tell, help me. Verse 10. Yeah, walking in good works. Okay, you used to have this pattern of a lifestyle that was locked into sin. Then he says in verses 3 to 7, 8, 9, really, but by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And now God has prepared a completely new lifestyle for you that is not to be marked by sin. It's to be marked by good works. Now, I don't think, when we went through this passage, I thought something different. I'm not necessarily thinking that this means specific actions. Uh, you know, God has these specific actions in mind. I think the works that he's talking about are kind of like the 14 things or 13 things that we just mentioned. God has prepared you to walk in light, in purity, in truth, orderly, all these other things. And this is what God's intention for all believers are. I think it's pretty amazing the way he brackets that and uses those words at either end of that section. The other places he uses it, he uses it in Ephesians 4, verse 1, which we'll come back to in just a second. He uses it in 4.17. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He uses it in 5.2. Walk in love just like Christ loved the church. He uses it in, uh, boy, the number, I lost the number, but it's walking in light. Uh, Verse number 8. You were once in darkness, but now you are uh, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He uses it in 5.15. Walk circumspectly. That's what... uh, Tony brought up before uh, that just means to be careful how you walk to observe your steps to evaluate yourself constantly uh, and then he uses it uh, I think that yeah that's the last place he uses it now here's what I want to summarize when we walk in truth obedience love wisdom and all the rest the focus or the underlying heading for all of that could be what he mentions in 4 verse 1 to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Any ideas what that might mean? I'll open it up for you to discuss. When, what, I'm, what I think is um, all the things we mention is the way we walk worthy. But what is a danger? What is a danger when we start to, what may be a wrong way to think about this idea of walking worthy? Anybody have a thought? Yeah, that's exactly right. People, people mix this up and say, if I, if I walk in a certain way, it is going to make me worthy or deserving might be a word that we understand better, right? Make me deserving of God's great grace, which he might pour upon me. You want to add to that real quick before I finish? Well, that's not a wrong way, though. Okay. Right. Right. And the, the whole order of Ephesians is important in our understanding of this, right? This is why chapter 4 comes after chapter 1. It's not just because the numbers are later, but because Paul is working on a series of thoughts here that says this is what God did for you. One of the ways that theologians put it, and maybe it's, a, it's more of a helpful thought than worthy, is to walk in a way that befits your calling, right? Walk in a way that is fitting um, of someone who has been called, right? God has called you out of, Ephesians 2, 1, this life of sin and trespasses, this pattern of life, and given you every spiritual blessing. What kind of life then 
should we be living? Well, we want to live up to that calling, not to deserve it, but to, but to demonstrate that we've received almost out of thanksgiving. Now, this idea of walking worthy is used several times in other places in the Bible as well. Colossians 1.10 tells us to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12 says, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. And then Philippians 1.27 says, only let your life be uh, worthy of the gospel. Let our, let our conversation or lifestyle be worthy of the gospel. Let me summarize by saying this. Here's the three types of walks. Okay, three types of walks that we've kind of looked at uh, tonight. There's a worldly walk. There's a worldly walk. Now, that better not mark you as a Christian right? anymore. It used to mark you. Ephesians 4.17, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. If you'd fill your mind, your understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God, giving yourself over to all kinds of sin and transgression. That's a worldly walk. Do you know people who are marked by a worldly walk? Of course you do. Is it you? It better not be. <laughs> Ephesians 2.2. 2. Then there is a working walk. Right? Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared these good works that we should walk in them. God has a, a plan for us, and I think under all that working walk is all the things we talked about. And then there is a worthy walk. There's a wor worldly walk, a working walk, and a worthy walk. And this worthy walk is a concrete explanation of what this new walk for a Christian should look like. And I mentioned all those subjects that we're going to look at, unity, spiritual gifts, down the whole line, to family, to work, He's going to express how the gospel is supposed to make a difference in our lives. So a great way to start before we kick this off next week is to take an inventory of all these different things that we mentioned and say, which is the area here that is not marking me? Which is the biggest struggle for me? Probably for, for us it would be different, but it would be a good idea to take some time to do that. Well, let's pray. We're, we're done for tonight. Let's pray and we'll dismiss ourselves. Thanks for your good attention tonight.